Welcome to this presentation of First Baptist Church Logue. We're glad to have you joining us today. Our mission at FBC Logue is to bring glory to God by being disciple makers. For that purpose, we present the following resource that it may be a blessing. All right, we'll grab a Bible and turn to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, and in case you use one of our pew Bibles, you'll find that on page 981. While you're finding your place, on May 6th of 1954, an event took place at Oxford University that experts had insisted for years was not actually possible. And that was that Roger Bannister ran a mile in less than four minutes. Despite the fact that, that scientists and experts for years had determined that the human body was incapable of doing that, Bannister refused to give up on his goal. He continued to work hard, and eventually he accomplished it by finishing a one-mile run in three minutes and 59.4 seconds. Now, of course, since then, the four-minute mile has been broken a number of times by many different runners, but even with the advantages of, of modern training techniques and the advances that have been made in nutrition and shoe design, it is still considered an incredible feet. A four-minute mile is not something you can just roll out of bed in the morning and, and knock out and start your day. And so uh, even the most gifted athletes uh, have to take years of training. They have to discipline every muscle in their bodies to, to, to press forward for the goal that they have. Well, as followers of Jesus, growing into spiritual maturity can be compared uh, to running a race, and oftentimes it is. And this morning, Paul's going to set an example for us of pushing ourselves towards the goal of knowing Jesus more. And so we're in Philippians chapter 3, and we're going to pick up this morning in verse 12. Paul writes, Not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. And so last week, if you were here, Paul gave us a big dose of the gospel, that the good news that, that God has done everything that is necessary for us to be saved and forgiven of, of our sins through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And he also gave us a clear explanation of the fact that this salvation must be received by faith alone. And it's not about what we do or what we don't do, uh, the good things that we do, the bad things that we don't do. And in fact, if we, if we try to stand on those things, then we're actually not operating based on faith. We're operating out of a sense of legalism, trying to earn God's favor. We saw that when we place our trust in Jesus, God cancels the record of our sin, and he credits us with the perfect righteousness of Jesus instead. And, and from that point... Paul declared that his goal in life was to know Jesus more and more, to, to become like him, to, to endure the suffering that comes as a result of following him, experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit at work in his life. And then ultimately, again, to become like Jesus in his attitudes and his actions. Now, in light of how gloriously Paul described the work that God had done in his life, you could get the idea from what he writes that that's all there is to it. 
All right, Paul traded in his, his empty self-righteousness in, in exchange for the perfect righteousness of Jesus. And, and now he rides off into the sunset, spiritually speaking, and everything is happily ever after. But as we pick up here in verse 12, Paul actually makes it clear to the Philippians that despite the amazing work that God has done in his life, not everything is as he would like it to be. He says, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect. And so in other words, Paul's goal, his desire is to know Jesus more fully and to be like Jesus. But the reality is that he's not there yet. He's still in process. Paul still doesn't know Jesus the way that he would like to. And he's not like Jesus as much as he would like to be. There are still things that Paul is learning in his life. There are still sins and, and tendencies that he is struggling against. And this should be really encouraging for us this morning. I know that it is for me. Because if we know ourselves well, then we are, are painfully of, aware of how far we fall short of God's standard every single day. And that can be discouraging at times as we see what Scripture calls us to, and yet we see how many times we fail to live up to that. It can be discouraging, but, but here Paul gives us an honest, transparent self-assessment. He says, I'm not there yet either. I'm not perfect. I am not yet who God has called me to be. And so we aren't alone in our struggle for Christ-likeness. Even the Apostle Paul hadn't arrived. He was not where he wanted to be. Now in the middle of verse 12, we see that while Paul isn't where he wants to be yet, he is nevertheless working to get there. He says, but I press on to make it my own. Now, to, to press on means to, to pursue an objective aggressively. Uh, it's actually the same word that is used to describe Paul's former persecution of the church. And so we certainly remember that in the past, Paul was, was aggressively pursuing Christians. His entire life was dedicated to that task. But now we're to see that he takes that same zealous commitment and puts it toward pursuing spiritual maturity instead. And when he says that he wants to make it his own, he uses another phrase that means to take hold of something aggressively. And so in pressing on to take hold of this, we we might imagine Paul pursuing spiritual growth, much like a a linebacker goes after a quarterback on a blitz. Uh, This is the, the one objective that he has, and he's doing everything he can to get it with an intense focus. Now, at the end of verse 12, we see that the reason Paul is pressing on to make the the spiritual maturity his own is because Jesus has made him his own, right? And that that same phrase is at work here. Paul is aggressively seeking to lay hold of Christ's likeness because Jesus has already aggressively laid hold of him. And so we we remember Paul's conversion on the road to Damascus. Jesus didn't exactly tap Paul on the shoulder, and say, hey, Paul, this is Jesus, and I was just wondering if maybe you'd like to be my apostle. What do you think about that? No, Jesus literally knocked him to the ground, and he said, hey, you, you're coming with me now, All right? And so, so Jesus laid hold of Paul. Paul belongs to Jesus now, and so his, his goal in life is to honor and to glorify the Lord who has laid hold of him. 
And so he seeks to lay hold of Christ's likeness. And the same thing is true for us. If we are Christians, then it is because Jesus has laid hold of us. Perhaps not as dramatically as the Apostle Paul, but nonetheless, now we belong to Jesus. Right? We've seen so far through the letter that, that as his saints, we've been set apart by him for his own purposes. Right? We've seen that the Lord has started a good work in us and that he's continuing to be at work in us, both to, to do and to desire what accords with his will. There's another way of saying this, is this is an outworking of what Paul wrote to the Romans in chapter 8 of his letter to them, where he said that as believers, we have been predestined to be conformed to the image of Jesus. Right? Our final destiny is to perfectly reflect who Jesus is in our own lives. So we should press on to know Jesus and become like him because he has made that possible by bringing us into a relationship with him. We're reminded here that that God's work for us and in us always precedes our work for him. And so uh, while Paul, by God's grace, isn't who he used to be, he's still not yet who he wants to be. And he's going to elaborate more on how he pursues his goal of Christ-likeness beginning in verse 13. And so we'll pick up there again. He writes, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So picking up again in verse 13, Paul re-emphasizes that he is still in progress. He says, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. Well, if he doesn't do that, then what does he do? Well, he says one thing. He says, I do one thing. We see in verse 14 that he presses on. Again, that same phrase that he used just a moment ago. And that repetition of the word serves to emphasize the importance of this pursuit. Pursuing Christ-likeness is what Paul does. And as we'll see in just a moment, it's what he expects us to do as well. But first, back in the second half of verse 13, you'll see that Paul throws in a couple of phrases that describe his pressing on. It says that as he presses on, he first of all forgets what lies behind, and then secondly, he strains forward to what lies ahead. And combined, all these phrases clearly reflect the imagery of an athlete who is competing in the Olympic Games, which is very fitting since the Olympic Games are going on right now. And so first of all, Paul forgets what lies behind. That that speaks to his focus on what's happening now. And this has a number of of parallels. For one, if you're a runner, or if you've ever been a runner, uh, you may not be one anymore, but if you've ever been a runner, then you know that your focus should always be on the finish line. You're, You're not supposed to look around to see where everybody else is. You don't look behind you to see if anybody is catching up. Your your focus is always straight ahead on the finish line. If if you uh, play a different sport, uh, then then you know that you can't get distracted by what's already happened, right? Your focus always has to be on the next play. So if you made a mistake on the last play, you have to let that go. There's nothing that you can do about it anymore. And and if you allow yourself to be distracted by your mistake, it makes it all the more likely you're going to make another mistake mistake. 
Right? So your focus always has to be on the next play. If you did well on the last play, that's great, but you still have to move on because now you have to do it again on the next play. Right? For better or for worse, whatever happened in the past is the past. And so you have to have what coaches sometimes refer to as a short memory. Right? Not focusing on what's already happened, but, but looking forward, forgetting what lies behind. Now the other part of, of pressing on for Paul involves him straining forward to what lies ahead. And as you might guess, straining forward refers to exerting yourself to the point of exhaustion, giving it everything that you have. And so we were, we were watching the Olympics last night. We were watching the men's swimming, and Chase Kalish won the, the men's 400-meter medley event. And uh, later on, they were trying to interview him, and the poor guy could hardly stand up because he was trying so hard to breathe. And the, the race had been over for several minutes at this point, and yet this world-class athlete can hardly talk. And the reason is because he gave everything he had in the course of that race, he strained with every bit of strength and endurance that he had, pressing on to get to the finish line before his competitors. All right, his eyes were focused straight ahead, and he was not letting go or giving up until he got there. And so we understand that for Paul, spiritual growth what was not a leisurely stroll in the park. He wasn't jogging. He wasn't even running, for that matter. Paul was sprinting to the finish line, so to speak. He's, getting, he's going as fast as he can, stretching out as far as he can to get there as fast as he can. He is pursuing Christ with everything he's got. And so, as Paul presses on towards spiritual maturity, he forgets what lies behind, which again is to say that he, he doesn't focus on it. He doesn't compare himself to other people and where they are in their spiritual lives, his focus is on the goal of Christ-likeness and getting there as fast as he can. And he doesn't get distracted by how well he's done recently. Right? If he had a bad week of, of failing in various ways, then, then like a runner who falls down, he gets up and gets back in the race. And if he had a good week of consistent faithfulness, he, he doesn't become complacent on that because he knows he still has to run again this week. And so I remember thinking about this, watching uh, the video of a young lady named Heather Dornadin, uh, who was a, a Big Ten uh, runner at the University of Minnesota a few years ago. And at the Big Ten championship meet, she ran in the 600 meters, uh, which on a 200-meter track was a three-lap race. And so the runners lined up, and as soon as the gun shot, she established herself in second place. And she was able to maintain that position for some time until uh, at the end of the second lap, going into the final lap, she actually took the lead just in time to trip and fall down. And so this, this young lady has, has been running, but now she's fallen, and now she, she falls back into somewhere between a, a 10 to 12 step uh, disadvantage. that Everyone is moving on. And so she's lost all of her momentum. It's the final lap of the race. And the best runners throughout the rest of the conference are, are sprinting towards the finish line. And so on paper, she's done. Right? There, you don't recover from something like this in the short amount of time that she had left. But, but this young lady got up, and forgetting what just happened, she pressed on. 
and she strained forward with everything she had. And in the, the, the length of one lap, Heather Dornadin uh, caught up to the competition and ended up winning the race. It was really incredible. You should YouTube it if you haven't seen it before. Right, but Paul is calling us to have that same kind of determination and commitment in our spiritual lives. You know, sometimes we may get sidetracked spiritually by our sin, and we can become discouraged. You might say, I can't believe I'm still dealing with this particular sin, or I can't believe that after all this time I did that again. And it can leave you feeling like there's no hope for, for genuine growth or for change in your life. And that can be discouraging. You may even ask, why even bother trying anymore? But just like an athlete, we can't allow our failures to get in our heads. Whatever happened in the past, whether it was 50 years or five minutes ago, is now officially in the past. And there's nothing that we can do about it anymore. All that matters is what we do from this point on. Of course, that's not to say that, that our past sin and failures don't matter, because they certainly do. But we confess them, we repent of them, and we press on. So we don't allow ourselves to be held captive by our, our past failures, but we also need to realize that we can't rest on our past successes either. You know, the, most, the most infuriating mistakes in sports are the ones that happen when, when an athlete begins to celebrate early and then screws up. And so a football player drops the football right before they cross the goal line and the other team recovers it. Or, or a cyclist raises their hands in victory only for the person behind them to zoom by and win at the very last moment. All right, it's embarrassing for the athlete. It's infuriating for the fans because it's so unnecessary. All, right, all you have to do is keep going. All right, you never take your foot off the gas pedal. You go all out until the game is over. And the same thing, again, is true for our lives spiritually. No amount of progress in our Christian walk should lead us to become satisfied with ourselves. In fact, it may be the case that we are never in more danger spiritually than when we are satisfied with ourselves. Complacency can be deadly because we, in those moments we let our guard down. So in, in Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, he warns them, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. So maybe it crosses your mind at some point during the day, you know, I haven't lost my temper with the kids all week. I'm doing really well. I'm, I'm pretty impressive. But I can tell you that if you come to that point, get ready because it's coming. I can tell you from experience. All right, complacency with our spiritual progress is a dangerous thing. We always have to be on guard against sin. We always have to be intentional about staying plugged in with our church family and pursuing the Lord through Bible study and prayer and the other spiritual disciplines as well. We can't become complacent. And so for Paul, everything that lies behind is behind. He's not held captive by it. He's not satisfied with it. He's pressing on. And church, that's what we must do in our own lives as well. We shouldn't be satisfied with the good that we've done. We shouldn't be crippled by our failures. We just keep pressing forward. At the end of the day, whether it was good or bad, we come back to the same gospel, which is that God accepts us not based on what we have done, but based on what Jesus has done for us. And so we never reach a point where we are beyond our need for God's grace. And at the same time, we never reach a point where we are beyond the reach of His grace. 
And so picking back up one last time in verse 15, Paul is going to call the Philippians, and us by extension, to follow him in this mindset. So we'll pick up one last time, beginning in verse 15. He says, Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. So as Paul concludes this section, he calls the Philippians to adopt this same mindset, this way of thinking about our Christian lives. He says, let those of us who are mature think this way. And so one thing that we see here is that one mark of spiritual maturity is recognizing just how far we still have to go. The smartest people in the world uh, are always aware of how much they don't know. And in the same way, the, the more we progress in our Christian lives, the further we grow in our faith, the more we realize just how holy God is and just how sinful we are. And we will press on to continue growing as a result. Now, certainly Paul desires all believers to have this perspective, but he seems to recognize that some people are just not there yet. He says, if if in anything you think differently, and so some people may not be on board with this. But it's interesting that rather than becoming put out with these immature Philippians, at the end of verse 15, Paul shows great patience with them, and he simply rests in the fact that the Lord will reveal the reality of this to them in his own time. I think this has important implications for us as well. It's easy for us to become impatient with other believers who are progressing slowly, who who seem to remain immature for long periods of time. We have members of our church who who make us exercise forgiveness on a regular basis, or, or when they have lots and lots of burdens that we have to consistently come alongside and and carry with them. And so it can become easy for us to to get annoyed and frustrated with that. But what we see here is that as as long as they're not engaging in some pattern of ongoing, unrepentant sin, we need to recognize that God works more slowly in people than we would like him to sometimes. And nobody more than ourselves, right? We, We know that from our own experience. We just need to extend that grace to others. And so when we have immature brothers or sisters... We can take a a cue from Paul here to be patient, trusting that the Lord is working in them on his own timetable. What we see in verse 16 is that Paul is concerned that each one of us lives faithfully in light of the knowledge that we do have. The word that we translate as hold true there has, has military overtones to it, and it refers to soldiers holding a straight line together. And so we say it's okay, particularly if you're a relatively new believer, if you don't understand all the ins and outs of the faith. God is going to reveal those things to us as we continue to grow. But we are responsible for, for putting to work and living out the things that we do know. And Paul holds us to that. He says that uh, let us uh, hold true to what we have attained. And so when we know what we are supposed to do, we are responsible for doing it. And that's what Paul calls us to here. And so in our passage this morning, we see that living our lives in a manner that is worthy of the gospel, which again has been the theme of this main body of Philippians, means that we pursue the ultimate goal of the gospel in our lives, which is spiritual maturity. We can't allow the, the good or the bad of our past to slow us down, 
We have to press on to what lies ahead. And as Paul calls us to think in this way, to take this approach to discipleship, it's worth asking ourselves, is this your mindset? Is this your mindset? I know we we would all probably uh, admit that spiritual maturity is important. It's a a good goal. Becoming and and knowing Jesus more and our attitudes and actions, that's a good idea. And nobody's going to argue that. But do you have the urgency for spiritual growth that Paul has in this passage and that he calls us to have? Is, Is growing in your faith a burden that you have for your life. You see, spiritual growth is hard. Right? Satan and the world and our own sinful flesh are constantly opposing us in that. Progress comes inch by inch, and it's difficult. But going back to our illustration, Olympic athletes face the same obstacles. Right? They wake up sore after a hard day of training the day before. They don't have uh, hours and hours to watch television or to have a social life like most normal people do. Sometimes they don't feel like training on a particular day. There are a lot of sacrifices involved to to attaining athletic excellence. But the, the key is at the end of the day, Olympic athletes see a gold medal as worth the effort. The the opportunity to win gold is worth all of the sacrifices that are involved in pursuing that. And so the question for us is, do we see Christ's likeness as worth it? Do we see growing in our faith and becoming more and more like Jesus as something that is worth the discipline and and the, 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 the repetition that it takes to grow as we, again, engage the spiritual disciplines of Bible study and prayer and fellowship and all the other things that the Lord has given us to to grow. So is this something uh, that that you have? Is this your mindset? If it's not, but you recognize that it should be, then I would encourage you this morning to pray. Exactly what Paul says here in this passage, that the Lord will reveal this to you and that he will give you that desire to pursue Christ's likeness in your own life. Maybe this morning you could take time to just think about one thing you can do in order to begin pressing on more than you have been. Maybe it starts with something as simple as having a consistent time every day for for reading the Bible or or meditating on it or, or making sure that you have time every day to pray. Maybe you could begin meeting with a fellow member here of our church for discipleship and encouragement. Maybe you recognize that there's an area of your life that's characterized by sin, and so you need to begin by confessing that and turning that over to the Lord. Whatever it is, understand that knowing Jesus is worth the effort. And so this morning, may each one of us press on, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward with everything we have to what lies ahead. Let's pray together.